2020 is most often a phrase, meaning clarity, transparency, a means of making something more easily understood. But right now, and for the next 12 months, 2020 is also the year. So, when it comes to politics and government, could it be possible for the two 2020s to meld and become less confusing and more effective, even if just for a year? Raise your hands if you think so. We'll tell you the results in a moment. First, welcome to another episode of Plugged In, Con Edison's podcast about all things related to energy. I'm today's host, Philip O'Brien. Joining me are Con Edison's Director of Government Affairs, Jason Litwack, and Christian Malanga, Con Edison's Manager of State Government Affairs. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Philip. Appreciate it. Did you see any hands go up about 2020 improving politics and government? Yeah, neither did I. But let's get serious. 2020 is a tremendous year for things in Washington, Albany, and our own NYC. Jason, we'll start with you. So much to discuss. Let's start with our bailiwick, energy. What might we expect in this presidential election year out of Washington? Well, Philip, unfortunately, the answer, I think, is not very much. We expect, as we've seen the last several years, of uh, almost total gridlock in the Congress, uh, particularly as we enter this presidential election season at the end of the year. By now, we were expecting the Democrats in the House of Representatives to unveil draft legislation that would achieve a goal of net zero carbon economy by 2050. Uh, the legislation is expected to address multiple sectors, including our sector, energy, transportation, as well as industrial. It could advance through the House this year, but if it does, it's highly unlikely that it would be considered in the Senate. Uh, and that's, that's really the, the long and short of what we expect. At the end of 2019, we saw a few of the uh, taxes extended that uh, impact our industry. For instance, um, they, they extended for one year at 60% the wind production credit. They extended the 179D tax deduction for energy efficient buildings. And um, significantly, a program we're involved with, the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, LIHEAP, was, it was renewed at $50 million more than last year. And so that's where we are, besides everything else that's happening in D.C., with the energy sector. So it's the usual stalemate compounded by a race for president. That's exactly right. Okay, would you then um, expect in any way that President Trump might ease or give in on some of his entrenched positions about energy and climate change in order perhaps to get some other votes? No, no, I, I wouldn't, I, don't, I think we have a history of uh, of watching this president uh, not moderate his position. In fact, in, in most cases, hardening his position to maintain the base of support that he has. He is a rare politician who does not try to reach across the aisle, does not try to get 
to the center to get more votes from the other side. He has his base and he fights almost exclusively to keep that base. And that base has been very pleased with all the things he's done on emissions rollbacks, on, um, on you know, the, in, the Endangered Species Act rollback, on all these things that you never would think possible. So I find it very hard to believe that he would uh, uh, try to move to the middle on any of those issues. Okay, and then what about, as you mentioned, the other side, the Democrats? Will energy and climate change be a major topic of the campaign? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the Democrats have focused on energy and the environment uh, for quite a while, but this year, because of that intransigence that we've seen from the administration and this kind of activist approach they've taken to environmental issues, such as pulling the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord, uh, and, and, and again, the emissions, rolling back the emissions um, rules. I think you'll see the reaction from the Democrats. We've seen it already. They're talking about climate change. They're talking about uh, um, preparing our country for a time when climate change results have uh, increased and making that a, a central component of their campaigns. And I think that's enhanced by the presence in the race of someone like Mayor Buttigieg, who's young, who says, you know, who's my generation that's gonna be impacted by this. And we see it clearly, like we've seen with Greta Thunberg. Um, and, and people are really paying attention and, and, and uh, that appeals to a lot of folks because they see it, uh, the effects of climate change on their front doorstep with more storms, more flooding, uh, uh, more devastating consequences of, of what would otherwise be routine weather. Right, and it's become a major focus of Con Edison and other utilities mm -hmm. in approaching that too. Yes. Okay, Christian, take us to Albany and good old New York State. Uh, New York State Legislature last year got quite a bit done. In fact, they passed like more than 900 bills. Not all of them were signed, but uh, a right. great deal of activity. What can we expect with the energy field from there? Right, well, as you mentioned, Philip, there was a prolific number of bills passed in 2019. And I think one of the, the high profile bills that was passed, which we're gonna keep an eye on, this year is the CLCPA, or the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. Now that bill requires a Climate Action Council, um, and it requires the governor and the legislature to appoint members to that council in order to meet the goals of that legislation, um, primarily being an 85% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions economy-wide, and uh, electric generation requirements, 70% renewable by 2030, 100% emissions-free, by 2040. So that's going to be a priority for us to watch that Climate Action Council when it meets, who the members are, and uh, really kind of study uh, its work. There is a scenario where that council could get delayed a year, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. Um, but that's, a, that's one of the major issues we will see kind of play out in 2020 is this Climate Action Council. Could that delay be at all related to the race for president? You know, I think that it's a New York passed the most aggressive climate legislation in any state of the country. Um, so I think really what it is is it's it's complicated. It's a big lift, and I think that 
that we don't know yet when the council will be formed. But I'm, I don't want to tie it specifically to the okay. presidential election um, because I'm not sure that, that there is a correlation there. And for the first time in many years, last year, the entire legislature and the executive are from one, the majority are from one party, the Democrats. Right. And Jason was mentioning how the Democrats are going to make a lot of play out of climate change and um, the environment. Right. Uh, yep. Would you expect more? Yeah. And, you know, one of the bills that we are really excited about and focused on, which we think fits well within the, the, the clean energy goals of this state and as laid out in the CLCPA, is utility-owned um, utility ownership of large-scale renewables. It's a bill that was introduced last year before the CLCPA was passed and would allow um, regulated utilities to own large-scale renewables like wind and like solar. And we're taking um, the opinion that an all-hands-on approach would be helpful. And so we're excited to see. We think there's an appetite this year to pass that bill potentially. And so um, that's something that we'll be advocating for and looking uh, forward to in the 2020 session. In and around this year's presidential race will be the beginnings and the clarifications of where people stand and what people are looking for towards next year's race for mayor. Jason, how are things shaping up in regards to energy for the next year's mayoral race? Well, I think a lot of the the candidates, as you note, Philip, are kind of positioning themselves now uh, and 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 working on getting their name recognition up. And they're talking about issues. So far, we haven't seen any clear plans laid out for for kind of what might be a particular candidate's um, agenda on the issues. However, it's safe to say, you know, the, some of the leading candidates like um, Speaker Corey Johnson from the New York City Council, like Comptroller Scott Stringer, they have not been shy in the past about discussing our need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, um, to, uh, you know, you know the, the Comptroller has suggested divesting in uh, the city pension fund from fossil fuel companies. So this is very much, these kinds of issues are very much a cornerstone of their kind of already uh, out there worldview. We see people uh, running for other offices like uh, Assembly, um, I'm sorry, Councilmember Constantinidis, who's chair of the Environmental Protection Committee. Uh, he he was the prime uh, author and driver of Local Law 97, which was just signed uh, last year in 2019, and that uh, related to cutting emissions, uh, greenhouse gas emissions from buildings. We were uh, very heavily involved in that. We are actually on the uh, the advisory committee uh, for the rollout of that legislation. So New York City is a progressive city. It's progressive politicians and the environment and energy are at the top tier of all that permeates, will permeate the entire campaign, I'd say. Right. And something else that's way up there is uh, mass transit. Yes. The MTA. So either Jason or Christian or both of you, because it's Albany, uh, what might we see in the mayoral race in regard to the MTA? Well, Christian is the MTA expert at this table, but I will say from, from a city perspective, uh, Speaker Johnson has come out and said that, uh, you know, the MTA should revert back to uh, control of the city. 
because it is so city centric and there are so many issues surrounding costs, surrounding efficiency that uh, maybe it's time for, for the, the city to stand up and say, this affects us and our residents. Let us control it. I mean, yeah. Two things I would note is that if if that were the case, well, first of all, I would note that there was some MTA reform in last year's state budget, and that includes an audit of the management and operations. And I, I think that the city should be careful uh, for what it wishes because the state would then say, congratulations, you can now fund the MTA, as the governor has in the past said that the city is not paying its fair share. So I, I would, it would be interesting to see that because I think the, the state would have something to say about, about the MTA. Mm. Yeah, uh, and, as, and I would just add to that, the governor has made this a big priority. As Christian mentioned, there was a reform in the budget, and he has really positioned himself to be the person who will rescue the MTA from its traditional uh, kind of shortcomings and criticisms. So, I, but I, that being said, from a political standpoint, I think it's very wise of the speaker to to take on this issue because it's bold. It's something that touches almost every New Yorker daily, sure does. and uh, even if he's unsuccessful, he will be remembered on election day. I would say as the person who who had an idea and tried to make things better. Well, we have plenty of time until that happens or doesn't. And I want to thank you both to Jason Litwack, director of Con Edison's Government Affairs, and Christian Malanga, manager of State Government Affairs. Happy New Year to both you guys and to all our listeners. And remember, listeners, if you want to contact us, you can email us at podcast at coned.com or any social media platform. Our handle is at Con Edison. So till next time, I'm Philip O'Brien. Stay plugged in.